What's up, my friends? Before we get into today's episode, I want to take just a moment and tell you about the Kickstarter project I just launched for BGDL Plus, Board Game Design Lab Plus. This is something I've been wanting to do for a while, just a way to uh, add more content, do more interview series, do more really cool stuff, and also give you a voice in the community, a little bit more voice to you know vote for guests and upcoming topics and things like that, and just do some giveaways, do lots of really cool extra stuff. And so BGDL Plus is the way that I'm going to do that. And so really want to encourage you, if you've gotten value out of the community, out of these podcasts, out of the different stuff the BGDL has been doing, please go over to uh, Kickstarter and check it out. You can actually just go to boardgamedesignlab.com slash plus. That's P-L-U-S. And it'll redirect you to where you need to go to check out the, the real cool stuff. There's some awesome rewards. There's some real cool special edition t-shirts and different swag and stuff like that. But there's also a lot of access to extra podcast episodes and some different interview series that I'm working on. And so, yeah, if you've really enjoyed this content and you just want more, you want to dive deeper into your game design and just kind of go even further down that game design road, I want to encourage you to check out the Kickstarter. Again, that's boardgamedesignlab.com slash plus. Thanks. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about family games. We're talking about things to consider when designing a family game. And we're talking to Bez Shahriori, and I hopefully pronounced your name correctly, <laughs> the designer of Yogi, the designer that brings games into the world under the name, under the uh, the publishing company Stuff by Bez, which I feel like is a really cool, like I want to I make my own company called Stuff by Gabe. You know, it just makes yeah. a lot of sense. But Bez, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here, Gabe. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk about this. This is something you approached me uh, a while back and said, hey, uh, I want to talk about this stuff. And we kind of got to chatting. And then like family games just came out as this like this this topic you seem to be very passionate about. Like you just kept sending me all these notes about, hey, we can talk about this, talk about that. And so I'm really pumped <laughs> to talk about these different things that, that you know, you've, you've brought up and we've been kind of talking about before uh, the episode got started. And so, but first, let's, uh, let's talk about Bez. Who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that good stuff. I am Bez, and I was born many years ago on 13th of August. It was a Friday the 13th. I loved video games. My first ever memory is of a Spectrum loading screen. And then I thought I was going to be a video game designer. But then after university, I actually got more and more into board games. It's just the social interaction. It's super cool. And I've made a couple of card games just for the sake of teaching myself how to make a game because I thought if I want to be a video game designer I need to make a game and so making a game for a traditional deck of cards is a good way to do it but then I just found myself falling more and more in love with the board games I didn't have to do any of the coding I could see other people around the table enjoying it it's all about bringing people together and then I moved to London Playtest UK allowed me to just connect with other designers, other playtesters. It was super awesome. And I love being here with the population density. It just gives you so many opportunities to be in a capital city like London, where I'm based. And so right now, for I think coming up to four years is when I last had my normal job. I mean, now I'm basically self-publishing, as you said. I did In a Bind. 
Um, I managed to get it sold to Jigamek as Yogi, and they, in the first few months, they sold um, tens of thousands of copies, which I was super excited about. Yeah. And hopefully that's going to continue to be profitable. Um, they've got it up. Um, yeah, it's starting to go around the world. It's like in 10 different languages now, which is, it still boggles my mind. When I first saw this Korean woman playing it with her kids, and then it was, what's going on here? I don't understand what's yeah. going on, but it's just to have people playing it in a completely new context. And so I'm making games um, for, a lot of them are meant to be super accessible for families to play together. And that's why I'm super passionate, as you said yourself, about the topic. Yeah, for sure. And congratulations on that success. Congratulations on bringing games in the world, getting them signed and going around the world. I think it's really one of the best things about designing games is seeing other people enjoy them. You know, more than just your mom, more than just your dog, more than just you, like other people, especially in different countries that, you know, you're, you're never going to meet that person, but yet you brought some joy into their life in some kind of small way or brought their family to the table to have some fun together. And I think that's such just one of the, the biggest rewards for doing this kind of thing. And one of the main reasons I, I do it, and one of the main reasons I, th- I feel like uh, you're continuing to travel down this road. Absolutely. I mean, games can do so much social good. And, you know, whether it's something that can help teach you how to read, and, like, my own thing of Wibble++ is a bit about that because it's a deck of cards with letters on them. So it's all about being able to read and being able to improve that ability. But also you've got things like Phil Eklund's games, which are serious scientific uh, models. And you play them and then you understand so much more about the world. But honestly, even if your games aren't doing that, as you say, even if your games are just brightening up someone's day, making them have a little bit of fun, facilitating something that they otherwise wouldn't have experienced, I think that's still super awesome and valid and meaningful. Yeah, definitely. With the uh, the students I work with, so I work with the homeless during the summer, and we and we go out and we do a lot of like just m- making meals for people, and you know sitting down and having lunch with people, and trying to figure out ways to help them. Whether it's just a pair of socks, or trying to help them get off the street in some way, get them connected with some kind of shelter or organization, you know, whatever. And I tell the students that come in to kind of help and do this work with uh, with me is that we're not you know we're not really trying to change somebody's life today. We're just trying to change their day. Like don't try to carry that burden of changing a life. Like it's it's incredible. Like if you start thinking the complications that go with changing someone's entire life, like that's too heavy of a burden for us to carry. But you can change a day, you know. And so if you just kind of go into that with that same mentality with a game, it's like I'm just trying to change somebody's day, I'm trying to brighten their day up a little bit, whether it's through laughter, the fun of a family game, or through like the deep strategic choices of like a deep euro or like whatever it is. You're just trying to change yeah, right their day. On. Yeah. Or it could even be changing their hour or oh yeah, it's absolutely right, definitely. That they when they get done, they go, "Wow, I'm glad I played that." Like my life is just a little bit better today, you know. Right now in these mm. next the last 15 minutes, I know with Yogi, I've seen people playing it at cons and stuff, and just they're smiling, they're laughing. And they're you know trying to move their body in different ways and but they're just the joy that uh, you've brought into people's lives with that game it, it's awesome and so congrats on that and I hope I look forward to seeing more more games from you. Thank you very much and my second thing if to go into that if I can yeah um so my second thing was Wibble Plus Plus which I released last summer mm-hmm. and um, so that is the deck of cards with two letters on each one as I said. So one in that deck of cards, one thing you've got is a word game. You've also got a cooperative storytelling activity. You've got a party activity. You've got a quick dexterity matching game. You've got a completely abstract game that someone else made up for the deck and has been developed a bit by me. And 
some ideas thrown into the mix by you know tens of other people, including Mick Wood recently. But no, nothing's ju just one person. Yeah. And with this deck of cards, what I really want to be all about is opening it up to the people. So I reached out to you and I said, this is the contest. Would you be kind enough to share it? And you were kind enough to do so. So thank you very much. Yeah. And I've had... Um, nine people and there's still a month to go until the closing date yeah and so i'm expecting a lot more because you know how most people are kind of getting it in on the yeah. last day yeah i've run a contest and it was amazing how many came in in like the last 15 minutes you know right before the deadline and so yeah hopefully you'll get a lot what, more what percentage was it oh it was a lot it that? was i would say in the last two or three days it was well over half well, like maybe even close to three quarters of the people like turned their their stuff in in the last couple of days for sure. And so it's just it's how we are. You know, nothing makes a person more productive than the last minute. And so that's totally true. I mean, everything gets like yeah, me and I see the um, Jen Khan's contest, and I'm thinking, oh, if I've got time, I'll spend a few hours on mm -hmm. Monday just quickly knocking something out, putting it in, and seeing how it goes. But like the same with the Wibble Plus Plus thing is. I want to say, okay, here's a whole bunch of games. Just now there's like 28 games if I actually wrote everything up and mm. put it onto the website, which is a good amount. Yeah. And I've got like six games where these are the ones that I'm highlighting. These ones are the ones that I think are really strong. They've been proofread, been playtested to the nth degree. Nothing's ever truly finished, mm -hmm. but they're as finished as you finish can be, really. Yeah. And um, with every year, I'm going to do a new game for the deck and then... Um, yeah, also more things. So hopefully people, as you say, will see a lot more things from me. Yeah, definitely. And the cool thing about Wibble++ is that it's a system. You have created a system that anyone can make games for that system and using the different uh, words or letters and, and different ways that the cards are set up. And it's just a really interesting kind of foundation that other people can build upon. And so I'm, I'm excited to see kind of the, the other stuff. Like you said, 28 games so far. And who knows how many you'll have by the end of this whole thing. Yeah, I'm really excited and, you know, I'm really committed to spending energy on it for the net for at least another decade, honestly. Yeah. And I am hoping between ourselves and between, you know, how many other people are listening to this show when it goes live, that I'm hoping that I have been lucky in that I was able to come up with a really good game as my first one. Mm -hmm. And that stands me in really good stead. It's super mass market. So many people are enjoying it. So many people are continuing to buy it and tell their friends about it. And so I'm hoping that this time next year, it will be just enough to fund me so that I, I'll i be making, you know, 10, 12,000 pounds a year, which, mm -hmm. okay, more money is always nice, but I don't need more money. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then it's like, okay, all the other money that I make, I can just put into promoting Global Plus Plus, and I want to start getting it into schools. And actually not even charging them anything above my cost price. Yeah. And like for places that are doing social goods where it could actually be used, like a school, like a hospital, like, um, you know, I'm not too sure about the scouts. Like I'd, I'll have to think about each place on a case-by-case -case basis. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, anyone who's trying to do social out outreach to help people who are having mental health issues, yeah. you know, that kind of amazing work that people are doing, then it's like, okay, I can't afford to do a donation forever because that's not sustainable. I need to be able to make it sustainable. And I need to, as you say yourself, for the awards, you know, it, people don't value free stuff. Yeah, right. And so it's kind of like um, 
okay, I'm going to charge you literally just what it costs me plus mm -hmm. a one pound handling fee per package. But, so that eventually if it gets to be hundreds and hundreds of orders per week or whatever, then I could just employ other people at, to fulfill all these orders. So it is properly sustainable as much as it can be. And then I'm just doing my own design work pretty much as a hobby. I don't need to make any, because it's just so rewarding, honestly, seeing how many things can be made from this deck of cards. And when people are like saying, oh, I enjoy this game and that game. What else can I play with this deck? And I actually re recommend games. And I'm like, okay, how about this game for you guys? This is the perfect game because you're a couple. And so maybe you thought about playing this one, but you don't like cooperating. Try this two-player competitive game. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I think you and I are on the same page. Is the whole idea of I don't do this to make money. I make money so that I can do this. And that's really the, mm. the mentality. It's like this is not about the dollars and cents. It's just that I need a certain number of dollars and cents to make this whole thing work and to feed my kids and mm. that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, it's, it's not about the money. If it was about the money, I don't think we'd be in board games. So things <laughs> right off the bat. Well, cool. Well, hey, let's get into the topic. Let's talk about, you know, family let's games, things to consider. But f before we really get into it, what's a good definition? Like, give me a good working definition of what is a family game. So I was thinking about this because you've got kids games, obviously, yeah. but a family game to me is something that children and parents can play together right. and both of them enjoy it. Yeah. And it's not just the dad or the uncle playing snakes and ladders with a kid and being like, oh, I'm enjoying it because little Vido, she's having fun. Just or, suffering through it, right? Yeah, it's something where you, everyone at the table is engaged and it can engage both children and adults and i think honestly as we'll get to in a later point that dichotomy of skill levels that range it and having to serve them in the same game at the same table is absolutely the biggest challenge i think oh yeah definitely it's it's almost like trying to make a movie that both parents and kids will enjoy. So you've got enough jokes in there that only the parents understand, but you've got enough silly craziness in there that the kids are you know, engaged and excited too. That's a hard thing. Like That's something that, that Pixar makes it seem like it's easy. Like mm. There are certain companies that make it look, oh, oh, it must not be that complicated. It is incredibly difficult. And so it's the same thing with games. Like It's so hard to, get, to make a game where both you know, a 7- or 8-year-old and a 30-year-old, 40-year-old, can enjoy it at the same time and, and maybe to the, to the same level. That's, that's a monumental task. I mean, absolutely. The raw amount of talent and budget and people working behind any one of Pixar's movies mm. or Disney's, it's phenomenal. And so, yeah, they do have a leg up, I've got to admit. <laughs> but, you know, everyone can everyone can strive for this kind of level. Yeah. And it is definitely within our grasp. It just means that sometimes with some games, like dexterity games, it's easier because you can just have adults who are engaging in that childlike wonder mm -hmm. and sometimes honestly just want to chill out and i enjoy frozen it's it's a good film <laughs> i mean the whole yeah. have you seen frozen oh more times than i can count my kids just put that thing on repeat <laughs> <laughs> i saw it with my nieces i mean i i've got a couple of lovely nieces and um yeah they were talking me through the entire story before we we saw it and even like right at the end there's the whole twist you know with oh it's the true love that's going to save it and i love that it um okay spoiler warning for anyone who's not watched frozen <laughs> skip ahead one minute yeah. so it's um her sister who saves her it's not the prince 
and actually the prince turns out to not be the best character and so I love the fact that it's got that wee twist it's got some really nice um, jokes in there and it's got the snowman who's a bit morbid in a way about it's as you say it's beautifully done and that's what family entertainment is all about it's not children's entertainment it's not adult entertainment it's families bringing people together in the purest sense. Yeah, definitely. So let's get into the these things to consider, and we've kind of broke it down into these three categories, basically. And the first one is simplification. And so tell me about simple, simplification and what it looks like to create a family game that is that is simple enough for you know kids to understand, but also complex enough to kind of be engaging for parents and kids. Sure. So um, a lot of things that I've learned, I've got to say like that whole quote about standing on the shoulders of giants yeah. and in this case i owe so much to mark rosewater who you quoted in your book and i wasn't surprised but yeah mark came up with this term of lenticular design i don't know if you've heard of it before no not before you you brought it up before the show so um lenticular design it's about those old cards that are like holograms and if you look at it from one side it looks like a flat picture if you look at it from around, you start to see different parts of it. And the whole idea of this is complexity that hides itself. So Mark Rosewater realized that, okay, there's cards in magic that appear to be simple. Like there's cards that there's comprehension difficulty. You can have things that you read and you're like, oh, what does this mean? You can have rules complexity. Oh, again, what does this mean? You can have board complexity. Oh, what's the potential for to happen given all these things in the game at this moment. You can have strategic complexity and strategic complexity is the bit where actually more of it is always great. Well, for the most part, but at least for Magic the Gathering it is. But the big takeaway was that things aren't simple or complex. Things could be simple for starting players and actually more complex for more advanced players. Like, there's a card in Magic the Gathering, Lightning Bolt, it does free damage. For a starting player, it's like, cool, I draw the card, when I've got the mana, I do free damage, and I kill, I deal damage. That's it, I understand it, I don't need to think about it. For an advanced player, well, do you leave it until the end so that you take that person from free life down to zero life as a little surprise? Do you use it for their creatures? Which creature do you use it on? There's a massive number of options with this one card. And so that whole notion of lenticular design is something to really think about. But, um, yeah, obviously, everything, when it's a family game, you can't just be like saying, oh, strategic complexity is always good. Because, again, if you've got too many options, let's say in the case of Lightning Bolts, if you had, this isn't a kid's game, by the way, I wouldn't call Magic the Gathering a family game, given <laughs> no, that so I think it's 13 plus yeah. um, rated. But um, So you've got X number of creatures. Let's say you've got five. Now there's so many options. Whereas sometimes it, you just want it to be, okay, which things do you do? Boom, choose one of them. And people can underestimate the value of even having zero decisions. Because as ridiculous as that sounds... With my game, Yogi, for example, the original way to play that was what I called now call slow and sadistic. Mm. So you've got two cards in your hands. One of them you give to another player, and they've got to do whatever it said on that card. So it might be this card touching your nose or two hands touching each other. And so you choose what, how they suffer. 
And now you draw another card, that's the end of your turn, and the victim gives it to someone else, and um, cards are being passed around. So it was literally just choose one of these two cards, someone else does it, that's your entire turn. But even that was actually too difficult for some of my non-gamer adult friends to play, let alone kids. Mm -hmm. And so I took it to Bauer's Game Corner, and I need to give so much due respect to Forrest Bauer, who said, hey, I tried playing it with my kids in my school because Forrest Bauer is a teacher, and I just did everyone pick up one and do what it says. And I was like, well, what's the game there? Is it actually, is there any game? And it took me playing it with someone else to realize, hey, actually, this is still funny. Hmm. It's just an enjoyable activity. You don't need a strategic decision in every game. A game is not about who's better at computation necessarily. A game can just be who's better at doing this thing or enjoying some time together. I mean, games don't even necessarily, if we broaden the definition, don't need to be about winners and losers. They can be about cooperation or be about story games and just developing stories together. And I think that in those examples, there's so much value in almost stripping out literally every strategic point that you can find and saying, does this actually add to the core engagement loop? What is fun about this game? Because it might be that what you want to add is a brilliant, the most amazing idea that you've ever thought, this is going to make people think and scratch their chin, and yes, you might be right. For someone who can keep all those things in their head, it's brilliant. But for a wee kid who's starting off, or for someone who's just learning the game, everything is a mental weight and a burden that they have to shoulder before they can get to the enjoyment of the game. So just stripping all of that away, literally sometimes 90% of what you think needs to be there can still be a fun family game. And you can even look at a highly complex game. I mean, you could take Power Grid and do, not like, I know there's the first Sparks game for Power Grid, which is quite fun. Mm -hmm. And that's a fine game, but I wouldn't play that with a six-year-old. Yeah. But you could have like a power grid game that if you stripped away okay what's the most interesting thing is it's about connecting these things well maybe just like a network building game and it's not even about trying to emulate power grids it's just thinking okay what's one fun aspect and literally knocking out everything else because one fun thing is enough and just take that one thing and maximize it yeah for sure i think the thing to really be aware of with family games is Finding the fun at its core value, so to speak, at its at its most pure, and not having to worry about all the extra stuff in there. Because I mean, all right, if you're if you're playing a family game, it's probably not because you want to test your your mental abilities against the other people at the table. Like I'm not trying to figure out, am I smarter than my nine year old? Can I figure this out better than her? Uh, hopefully so. You know, just being what it is. And so, what are you, what are you really trying to do with a family game? Well, it's probably you're trying to have fun. Like fun should be the absolute. Obviously, in in most games, that should be the case, but not not necessarily. Like there's lots of games where it fun not necessarily the the main thing you're looking for it could be lots of different things but with a family game you probably want to go for fun at the table something that uh, people can sit down understand rapidly learn the rules quickly so you're not explaining to you know my nine-year-old if i start explaining a long rule book she's going to miss most of it and check out and it's just it just is what it is she's, she's a kid and so simple rules but then also something that kind of brings you together in interesting ways because 
more than likely that's why you're playing to begin with. That's why you're doing this to begin with because you want to come together as as a family. And so yeah. let's let's move into some of the other reasons why you know why you would play these games. You you have this really interesting list that you sent me. So I just kind of want to go through this and, and explain some of these things. So the first ones that I put down, I mean, these were just some things off the top of my head that I thought, you know, let's make sure that we hit these. And maybe we'll come up with some other ideas together because games are really valuable things. Oh, right. And yeah, I mean, one of the things is you can learn social skills because about the medium of a game, you've got a rule structure. You need to be able to absorb these rules. You've got to play by the rules You've got to be willing to accept that sometimes you're going to win and you don't want to gloat in other people's faces. Sometimes you'll lose. And that doesn't mean that you just walk away and don't engage. You still need to, well, you don't need to. You can do whatever you want, but it's better for society and it's nice as a person if you are able to stay there and carry on with the game even if you've just suddenly lost half of your cards after some after you made a mistake and it's about interacting with people because maybe you're a child who doesn't interact as much as you'd maybe like maybe they're in front of a screen all the time or are really shy at school you can learn to interact and talk with other kids you can even learn empathy especially in cooperative games but also in today i was playing in the sun a couple of hours ago with my two nieces and in the sun um the first time vidal lost um all her cards in a game that i call plus um she really cried and was saying oh this is so unfair and i was like no try again you'll get better you'll get some of these cards back and by the end, she was applauding her sister. Her sister was applauding her when she won. And at the end, she was a bit dejected that overall in the game she didn't win. But she's learned those social skills. She's learned that it's okay to face hardship in real life. And to, because this is just a game. I know it sounds trite to say, but it absolutely is. And if you can't handle a bit of loss and rejection in a game, how are you going to handle that when it comes to your first job or interview or when it comes to asking someone out or other social engagements. Yeah, definitely. I think learning to deal with failure is one of the most important things a child can do, can learn to do. Because life is going to be newsflash. Life is, has no shortage of failure. You know, is there anyone, like, that's just is what it is. That's so obvious. But there's so many young people, especially people I know, who were so <laughs> sheltered from failure that they didn't experience it much until they were in their 20s and it's ugly to fail for the first or second time in your 20s as opposed to when you're a kid and so like games are so good about teaching and teaching people how to lose and how to like get better and how to come back and figure things out not just give up that whole like delayed gratification thing and learning okay i could do this now and get one point or i could do it in two turns and get 10 points and like really starting to grasp cuz if you think about that that is, that is the epitome of like how to not go into debt when you're older you know how not to to get into a bad relationship when you're old all those things Absolutely. and so if we can have these like cool little microcosms to teach kids these bigger concepts in in a way that's fun and enjoyable and people can do it together i think that's just a win on every in every aspect yeah and i mean when you talked about trying to avoid going into debt, obviously that goes into the harder skills like computation, maths, English, and learning how to put sentences together, how to be dexterous. 
And these are, you know, not the main, I mean, before I was talking about the soft skills, which is kind of the almost incidental things that you learn with any game that you could play. But with certain games, it's almost like, what skills does this game test? Because ultimately, any game where there's a winner and a loser is kind of testing who's better at this one thing. It might be asking, in the case of Ticket to Ride, who's better at working out the probability of the cards and the optimal things to do. It's all about computation, ultimately. Um, In Twister, it's okay who's better at holding their own body weight up and surviving this muscle fatigue for however long you play it, which... And that gets into the whole, well, what do you want to teach your children? If you want to teach them English, there are games for that. If you want to teach them French, there's games that you can have a simple game in French. And I've given French versions of Yogi to some teachers around the UK who are using it to teach French in schools. And um, if you want to learn how to do maths, there's games for that. It doesn't have to be a game specifically made for learning maths. I mean, there is a game out there, City of Zombies, which is all about teaching maths to kids. But there's also games like No Thanks, which I'm sure you are aware of. Mm -hmm. Like, it's one of the best games ever, I think. Which is just, like, such a wonderful... And that could be a family game. I could see that being played in a family setting. Yeah, definitely. Almost. And then, yeah, No Thanks. It's all about computation and maths, and you could absolutely see its value even in a maths classroom. Okay, Let's talk about who does this thing at this point. What's the optimal move? Thinking about that, that is practicing your maths. That's so much more valuable than just learning rote arithmetics or multiplication tables. It's really understanding the maths behind everything. Yeah, for sure. And I love how it also, these games give kids an opportunity to succeed and to feel the confidence boost and to feel that self-esteem boost and that, of going, yes, I did this. I won. I am I am good at things. You know, it's just so important. My nine-year-old, she has some, some mental things going on, like some different learning disabilities, and she really struggles with a lot of things in school and remembering things. And, and for a long time, we, we, just, we were just trying to figure it out and take her in different um, you know, doctors and trying to figure out like what's going on in her brain. And I remember it was, it was a very interesting thing. One day we were playing this, like you're talking about frozen. We were playing the frozen memory game, you know, just trying to <laughs> pick up cards and remember where they're at on the table. And she dominated everybody. Like she had so many more nice. matches than the rest of us. And my wife and I, we looked at each other and we're like, okay, this is different than we thought. Cause in, for up until that point, we thought well, she just has a really hard time remembering stuff. Like something going on with her memory. And then she just ran the table on us with this memory matching game. It's like, what is going on? But to see her get like so happy and the, the confidence that it gave her, because you know, she knows she struggles. It's not a, a you know, she, she's aware that she struggles more than other kids in her class. But then at that table, and, and every memory game we ever play, she wins like every single time. And so for her to just feel that success of winning is such an important thing, even on that tiny little scale, tiny little level, to, to move on to bigger things. Absolutely. It's... Um not only learning to be a good loser, but as you say, if you've had a hard time in life, sometimes just winning can be um, something to boost your confidence. And I guess also the reverse might be true. That's if you're a kid who's fortunate enough to have everything go really easily for them, maybe are super bright or doing well in school. But if you're playing games, then suddenly you're actually challenged and you might sometimes be losing. 
And that's got its own value as well. Oh, yeah, tremendous value. Absolutely. Knowing how to win and knowing how to – I mean, for one, I think success has destroyed more people than failure. If we're being honest, like they get a little bit of success and then it just like ruins them. But to, to learn how to deal with that, but also learning how to deal with that failure like we were talking about. So to learn how to come back and, and play again and get better and grow and all that. Mm. Yeah, because that's how you live a good life. Exactly. Um, going on to the third thing, so – I mentioned forming a child carer bond, which is, yeah, I'm. it might be a parent, it might be the teacher, it might be the uncle, whoever's babysitting, basically. And I come over here to my sister's place um, where I'm recording right now, and I'll play games with Vida and Mina, and they think of me as someone who brings fun games over. Right. I mean, some of them are mine, and they actually really enjoyed Yogi, and Inabine Jr. was mainly playtested by them. Mm-hmm. But they, we also enjoy, like, Hamster Roll and, you know, the Don't Tip the Waiter game and all sorts of other things. And they think of me as someone who's shared these times with them, someone who's had these fun moments with them. And, yeah... We went to have lunch, we went to the park, we sat down for half an hour and we played some games. And it's not a case of, oh, we need to play some games, this is what we're doing. It's a case of, oh, this is something we're looking forward to and we're enjoying it. And yeah, it's about establishing that bond, whether it's just doing a thing together, having, I guess, establishing a pecking order is a really horrible way to think about it. But sometimes just having, okay, one person wins, one person loses, but that's okay, it's kind of to some degree the same as teasing. Hmm. When I read um, this book by Jane McGonigal, which went into the fact that animals, when they're biting other animals, but they're not piercing the skin, that's essentially what humans are doing when we're teasing. Hmm. And it's almost like saying, okay, I've got power, but I'm loving you mm-hmm. you trust me you trust me to take care of you and i'm not actually going to hurt you and that's kind of what this game establishes that there's trust that there is a magic circle that you trust everyone to behave by the rules and even if someone messes up that's okay and you can work with each other and encourage each other and that life is separate and so yeah i think you build up a massive bond that way yeah, for sure. And then that creates memories, which is something else you, you know, we've talked about this. You build these memories that you can kind of look back on. And, and even if a kid doesn't remember the moment, like the actual memory being made, they still remember how they felt. It, it kind of goes a long way with, with creating that relationship and, and building it up for the future. And speaking of memories, that's exactly what I put last on the list, which is that it's just sometimes having fun, making lovely memories. And when someone's 50 years old, they'll be thinking of that time when they were younger and playing games with you. And you want to have that. And whether it's playing games with you or even playing games with their playmates, it's just about having a bit of fun at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. And it also gives you stories, you know, where you can kind of, you have funny things that happen. Or you remember when dad did this and he thought I had this card, but I really had that one. And I beat him in the end by a point. And <laughs> like it creates these really fun stories that people remember for their entire lives, you know, especially if it's something goofy that happened or that time dad fell out of his chair, or, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and and kids carry that, carry that with them. And they're going to look back and remember, you know, even like we were talking about you know, before, like the failures of life, the tragedies of life are in no short supply, but they can look back on these stories of these times that you had together and you kind of remember the good times and remember the, the fun stuff. And so, yeah, I think all these things together just make for, 
wonderful reasons to create more and more family games that are really good for both kids and You've adults. You've made me think of one more reason. I don't know if any other reasons have come to your mind. No, go ahead. But um, one reason that came to my mind is all about when you're talking about experiences, because life is about building up a tapestry of experiences. Yeah. And so games are almost like having condensed experiences, mm-hmm. like especially when you get to story games and okay, let's talk about RPGs and LARPs for a moment, if we can. Because there are some horrible LARPs out there, by which I mean LARPs which are about really depressing subjects. And as long as you are of a sound mental state and you are strong enough, it's really valuable to play these LARPs, which there's one um, which is all about withdrawal of military troops and about the translators who were offered... um, to a position where they could leave, but then they were just left there. And what's going to happen to them when they've turned against everyone around them? And I think that there's so much value in being able to see things from other people's perspectives. That's not something that I would ever have been able to appreciate in quite the same way. And I played a LARP once about being unable to speak and just forming sign language. I think it's actually called sign. And... It's about um, playing the role of kids who are just meeting each other, who are you developing this language together. And there's so much of value there, just developing this, these experiences and making yourself into a better human being, whether it's as a kid or as an adult, building up this tapestry of experiences and being able to say, yes, you know what, I empathize with you. And even if it's not quite so thematically driven, even if it's not as a LARP, quite a one-to-one thing. You can sort of draw parallels with party games. And if I'm to say, oh, I've done these things in my life, whereas if I play games, let's say games by their whole nature are about wildly oscillating different experiences. You've got games that are literally about tearing up paper. You've got games literally about listening to things and hearing where in a tower a cube drops. Mm. You've got games that are about stacking things, about flicking things, about all these activities that maybe you would continue doing as a child. Maybe you stop. Maybe you want to mix together um, language. Maybe you want to invent phrases. It gives you more experiences, and that makes you a more interesting human, frankly. Yeah, for sure, and it makes society as a whole better. I think the main word in all of this is empathy, that you've mentioned a couple of times already, is if you can teach empathy, it, may, it might be the most important thing a, a person can learn, is being mm. able to empathize with someone else and go, you know what, maybe maybe the world is not just how I perceive it, not just how I experience it. Maybe maybe there's other people experiencing it in different ways. Uh, maybe. you know, And just uh, entertaining that thought as a child, and then as you grow up, realizing it, yes, that more and more is the case, that my reality is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the reality. And so just learning that. And again, we're, it's, it's so funny. We're talking in these gigantic terms, but we're talking about family games. And, but I feel like they, they really go hand in hand in, in teaching these really big concepts and why they're so important, why it's important to talk about them, why it's important to keep designing really good ones, because they do the, these really cool, uh, more complicated uh, things that, that kids need that we all need, you know, and they kind of push, push us forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's not forget that when kids are born, like those early years are the most formative times of their development. And if you are going to make a game that is going to make the world a better place, then it's not going to come by you getting that game in front of adults. Because sad to say, 
a lot of our brains are already quite solid, whereas most kids, they've got really fluid thinking mm -hmm. and it's easier to change the opinion and to change the worldview of a child than it is to change the worldview of an adult. And yes, this can lead to some really horrible criminal activities I'm not going to get into, but it can also be used that power for good. I mean, that is a real power and you can use it to have people, as you say, who are more open, who are more tolerant. And these are things that against adults, well, with adults, we can't change everyone's mind, sadly. Some people are just really fixated on these are the enemies, these are the good people, there's this massive dichotomy, just crazy worldviews that we shouldn't even be considering. Whereas with kids, we can learn that we are all humanity, we are all people, and we can all come together, whether it's over a game or in the wider sense, because that is the key thing. And honestly, games, family games, I know this sounds maybe um, overreaching. I'm not saying every family game has to teach a worldview, but they can instigate that. Yeah. And so we're not talking about indoctrination games, you know, and games are trying to teach these like ideologies or anything like that. We're just trying to, you know, we're talking about games that show kids there's a different way because it's if anybody lives in an echo chamber, it's a child, right? Because they, they, they mm. basically only hear what their parents say or what the you know handful of friends they have. That's the only things they have. They're not sitting there watching the news or, or reading blog posts or, you know, they're, they're probably not doing that. And so like to sh just kind of open some things up to say, hey, there are other people in the world that live outside of our home, outside of our community. And, and just kind of teach them different things about the world. And, and again, I don't, you know, I don't think family game night needs to become this like political exercise necessarily. But it, it's the same time you need to you need to show kids in different ways that life is bigger than they realize because they they think life is very 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 small. And so just kind of show them it's it's bigger than that is a very important thing. Absolutely. Now, and with just before we move on, I do want to say like just representation again in games. Like it's probably most important for kids. Because yeah. with kids, if, like we talked about before we started recording, about seeing yourself represented, thinking I can do this. Yeah. And in Yogi, yes, when Simon Caruso did the art for that, I really liked it because I, I've i got one card where I'm featured on it. Mm -hmm. But also there's cards where there's um, people wearing unconventional clothes. There's someone with an adult Adam's apple who's also got boobs, <laughs> like a trans woman. And is shaving and i really appreciate that being on a card and it's not shown as a oh isn't this funny because everybody's shown in a kind of silly way yeah. but just as a here's another person this is another person who's valid as you say and if you don't think about okay let's have a 50 gender split let's have some minorities represented let's have some different skin tones then everything is political and everything expresses a worldview whether you like it or not yeah, and we're more and more living in an age where people who are minorities, people who do have 
uh, different backgrounds and, and what all that entails, uh, there are more representations of them in books and media and movies and games, and all these things, which is, which is great. I mean, I have my, both my daughters are brown. They're, they're from Honduras. And so for them to be able to play with dolls that are also brown, that have brown hair and brown eyes and look like them is, is a better world to live in, that that's an option. Mm. You know, not that we need to force all this stuff down people's throat, but that it's an option, that the opportunity is there. And I think that's really kind of the world we're hopefully moving more and more into where you just have so many options for people to find themselves in these heroes, in these main characters, not just in the sidekicks. That's been another thing. Like when certain uh, people groups only found themselves in the sidekick or in the villain. So, you know, and so now we're having more heroes that people can relate to. Yeah, right on. All right, so let's move into kind of more of the, the nuts and bolts of family game stuff. Let's talk about balance. Let's talk about how to balance these games so that, you know, for parents to enjoy and also kids to enjoy without it being just obvious, without a parent necessarily having to just like play really dumb to, to make the game fun. Like you can actually both play the game and both enjoy it without having to kind of hold yourself back. Absolutely. I mean, there's this whole talk of should you let a child win? Yeah. And, you know, let's not get into that. Because the important thing is it's not even about who's winning. And that's, as we said right at the start, it's an important thing to get across, that winning isn't the be-all, end-all. And the child shouldn't be aspiring to say, oh, one day I'm going to win this game. That's not even the healthiest attitude. The healthiest attitude is to say, I'm going to have fun playing this game, I'm going to learn from it, and I'll, I'll play it again. And so when you're thinking about balancing a game, it's easy to get hung up on who's actually got the most chance to win. Make sure that there's enough randomness, that the winner can fall behind, or that someone from behind can jump up to the front. But that isn't the important thing. The important thing is that everyone is actually able to do something, that everyone's able to interact with the game. Yeah, for sure. And I agree with him before. Just giving kids the opportunity to succeed at something. Even if they lose, they can look back and go, well, I almost won, and I did this, and I did that, and I had a chance to win. And they can at least kind of take the good parts away from things, feeling like they accomplished something. Or especially with games where you build something. And maybe they didn't build the one that the thing that won, but they built, like, it's a really cool feeling to build, go from nothing to something, no matter what it is. And so even if you lose, you're like, well, at least I built this really cool thing at the end of the game. Yeah, that's exactly it. Right on. And you can just take satisfaction in your own little achievements. Every time you are winning a card, even if it's not winning you the game, you are taking satisfaction in that. Like you say, if there is a more complex game, then building an engine at the end or saying, okay, with these sheep, I didn't manage to get the most, but I managed to get them all together. But it's about making, having some control over the game. It's about being able to make those meaningful decisions or participate. And as an example, um, for my game Plus, when someone loses, even though they've lost, they are the next dealer. And that gives them a chance to say, okay, I'm not going to get the next card, but I'm taking part. And it's almost like a consolation prize, so to speak. Not that it's much but it ensures that if someone's just lost all their cards you can say okay are you okay here come back into the game you just need to flip this one other thing over it keeps them in it do you know what i mean yeah for sure and that's i think that kind of moves us into 
catch-up mechanisms. Like, what do you do in these games to ensure that kids don't get so far behind that they just check out and they go, well, I can't affect the game, so I don't care anymore. This is not fun. Like, how do you, how do you implement catch-up mechanisms that work for these types of games? So um, I think that there's all sorts of catch-up mechanisms. I mean, so we've got – so for anyone who doesn't know, positive feedback loops – are things where when there's a system, it exacerbates the way that the system is. So people who are ahead go further ahead, people who are behind go further behind. And sadly, there are a lot of positive feedback loops in real life. And to be fair, in most games, like if you look at engine building games, there's going to be a positive feedback loop there, where as you get more stuff, you're going to be able to do more stuff. And with Dominion, as you get better cards and you start pulling ahead, you go further ahead. But then it comes, you've got to have the negative feedback loop, which is the opposite, which obviously people who are doing well, it makes them do worse, and people who are doing worse, it makes them do better. So in the case of Dominion, you've got the gold, um, the actual victory point scoring cards, where as soon as you get a victory point scoring card, um, that's going to make it more difficult for you to get your second, because it's clogging up your hands. And there's all sorts of negative feedback loops. You can have things that push the people in the front further behind. So you can have every turn, the person in the front loses something. Let's say we do that. That's a really heavy-handed way to do it, but that's a possible way. So let's say in another game, we have whoever's in the last place every round gets one extra coin. That's pushing the person in the back further ahead. Now, a headwind mechanism like Dominion uses is neither of these because it's not actually pushing the people in the front further behind. And it's not actually a negative feedback loop if you look at it closely because everyone needs to go through that same path. Mm. Everyone needs to follow that same headwind. So basically, all it means is that as you get better... The, it seems like the people in the front are starting to slow down and then it gives the people behind a chance to do more things. So in my game Wibble, um, so that I f- I'm really proud of the way that I used the catch-up mechanism in Wibble and also Plus, where in Wibble, one of the main games in the Wibble++ Plus Plus system, hence it, it's the eponymous game, one might say, mm-hmm. and that's where you've got cards, as I say, each card has two letters on it, You've got a couple in the middle, so you might have AP and NZ. And then you can shout any word that contains one letter from each of those. So using the A and the N, you might say thanks, for example. So then you choose one of them as a round handicap. And so then you choose one of the two cards in the center as a point. But the twist is that after a second card is flipped over into the middle again, Now, everyone else just has to use the two cards in the middle. For example, maybe you took the NZ, so there's the AP still, and another SG now. And so someone could say as or has, because that uses the and S. But you might have to say naturalization, for example, because that's the first word I could think of that uses the N, A, and S, and you can't just repeat words. I couldn't have said thanks again. And so as you get more cards... it starts becoming more and more difficult for you. Mm -hmm. And so this is a really elegant, if I may be so bold, (laughs) to big up my own stuff, Uh way to kind of make sure that someone who's really good at it 
there's going to come a point where they are experiencing difficulty, where it's actually hard for them. And so I've seen five-year-olds playing against adults and everyone's actually trying cards. And maybe the first, and you get up to four cards and then you reset. First time through, maybe one of the kids doesn't get anything, but then the second time through, they manage to get one card and they're really happy about that. Third time through, they get a card. And each time you win a round and you are the person who triggers the end of the round, you keep one of your cards permanently. Everyone else loses them. So that's how it becomes almost like a zigzag difficulty level, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. It gets harder and harder. Then the end of the round triggers. It becomes easier for everyone except the winner. It starts off slightly harder than it was the first round. And so each round, it has that incremental increase in difficulty and the sharp relief but it's still a slightly bit harder and eventually the kids will be able to get more and more words and they'll be really excited about shouting stuff and participating and it's not about saying here's some bonus thing it's just about raising the challenge as you're doing better and so raising the challenge and making sure that everyone is playing in a different way yeah, definitely. Now, one of the things you talk about in, in some of the, the notes that you were you sent to me is how victory, how winning, shouldn't be the only thing that's fun in a game. And so, what, especially with family games, because you know, if if we're if we're being honest, most of family games, like the parent is probably going to win just because they, they, just the way these mm. games work out. And so, like, what what are some things you can do to make sure kids are still having a good time and that parents are having a good time, even if they don't win? Well, it's just. A- Honestly, it's the same as with picking something that is intrinsically fun. That's a beautiful way to put it. Because whether it's making words, is making words intrinsically interesting? Well, is making words under time pressure intrinsically interesting? Is contorting yourself intrinsically interesting? Well, what about if we're adding a lot of variety of cards? Well, maybe now it is. Mm-hmm. Is um, counting up things interesting? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But what if we kind of say, okay, each round you're counting up different things. There's a little bit of excitement. There's a speed element. I mean, even the most mundane activity as counting can be made really interesting if you are presenting it in a good way. But sometimes you need to take a step back and think, well, this game is just asking me to work out all these sums and to work out all... It's just asking me to do all this maths that I can't be bothered doing. And there's no excitement here. I mean, I like Power Grid. And in Power Grid, okay, it's not the maths that makes it interesting. It's the fact that you get a Power Grid, (laughs) that you are increasing your output that you say oh i'm managing to power this massive network of stuff and i'm doing all these houses and that's the fun part of that game and see what you want but it's that is why people play it i think it's not about the computation and any kid who's playing a game it's not about it i think it ties into what you said at the start people going away with nice memories. If someone plays Wibble, they're not going to go with memories of, oh, do you remember that time when I said that long word and you said that? They're going to come away, they're not going to remember, oh, I won that game and I managed to win on my seventh goal or I got this many points. Mm -hmm. They're going to remember, oh, we were just 
really racing against each other. And we were all shouting words at each other and remembering that mood. Yeah, they, people remember the stories of things. And it actually kind of reminds me of the old school TV show, Whose Line Is It Anyway, that Drew Carey yeah. hosted. And every time he's opened the show, you know, welcome to Whose Line, any, any, Whose Line Is It Anyway, where the points don't matter, right? Because the game, like who won, Absolutely. didn't matter. It wasn't about winning, it was about playing. It was about the game in and of itself. And I feel like uh, family games that kind of do this well tend to do really well, right? Where, you, where it's not so much about who won or lost. It's about, man, we had a ton of fun playing the game. Like the playing is the thing. Winning's not the thing. Okay, so since we've got not much time, and I know that you like to keep your podcast a bit more brief than this one might be, so let's just try to race through the rest of them, I guess. Yeah, that's fine. Let's go. Let's, it's almost like okay, a little so, lightning round kind of thing. Okay, lightning <laughs> round. Okay, so next thing. Things that kids are good at. So, like Jenga blocks, but poking out the middle one, if you've got big chunky fingers, that might be a bit harder for an adult. Imagine a tiny game of Jenga where your little fingers are good for you. Mm -hmm. There. That's a good way. Um, The next one that I wanted to touch upon is handicaps. Mm -hmm. Like actual handicaps that people choose at the start of a game. Now, I put it up on Twitter. I said, I asked people, what do you think of handicaps? And I got about 30, 40 responses. And I think um, a tiny, most people were pro them. There were a lot of objections saying, well, sometimes it feels like you're not playing the same game together. The thing about a handicap in a game is there is going to be a variance in skill. So for something like Wibble, where it's just, if someone's far worse, start off with an extra letter. That doesn't count as a point at the end of the game. I've played against people whose first language is not English, who really struggle at it. And we've come maybe two points apart at the end because of this extra handicap. And I think it's important to have something by a designer because you can't put that responsibility onto the parents to come up with the handicap. It's up to the designer. Mm. Um, Next is having everyone experience some personal victories, which we talked about kind of just enjoying the thing itself, where, for example, Grabble which is just about picking up, picking up, picking up cards. And maybe a child picks up seven and I pick up 31. So that's not a great outcome for the kid. But at the same time, every card that you're picking up, at least start getting something out of it. It's not like every single round, it's just who gets this card first, boom, they lose, boom, they lose. It's about being able to have some personal victories whether it's managing to get some cards that you really want, even if it's a couple in an auction game rather than the majority. Sometimes you need to win. You don't need to win overall, but you need to win a few fights. And then I guess we have cooperation, which is obviously a way to sidestep the entire issue. And finally, we've got judicious randomness, which you said you wanted to talk about for a couple of minutes. Yeah, I want to spend a little more time on this one. So, yeah, randomness is such a key thing yeah. where, yeah, I mean, kids can, if they're behind, it gives them hope. It gives them hope that the right card is going to come up. In Yogi, not every card is as hard as the other. In Yogi, with the cards, you've got one finger touching nose, which is fairly easy. You've got this card on your shoulder, which is not too bad. You've got two hands touching. And if you've got two hands touching plus one finger touching some parts of your face, suddenly it's much harder to draw a card. There are, in my opinion, six cards 
which are far harder than the other 48. But that doesn't make it a bad game for the context. It would make it a bad game for a tournament mm. setting. Right. And I was actually speaking to Nate Scheidler of Jigamic, who published it, and he was saying that um, we should work out some rules to stack the deck for tournaments. But for kids, for families playing together, if dad or mum gets all the hard cards and then you're laughing at them, <laughs> and one game, after you've played so many times, they're actually the one to collapse, that's a good memory. That is good times, because you don't want the better player to always win. Because that's why chess and any abstract strategy game becomes so demoralizing and such a point of dejection. Because if I beat you at chess, I mean, I'm not very good at chess, but let's say you beat me at chess, why not? And let's say our average, I don't know, are you any good at chess? I used to be. Back in high school, I was, I was pretty good. <laughs> okay, let's say you beat me at chess. And let's say um, we play a second time, you're probably going to win again. And really, the only way for me to beat you is to go off on my own and to do a bit of studying. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. That's a good game. Chess is an amazing game. But for a family game, you want it to not be something that you need to go off on your own and follow your own personal journey. Right. You want to all be able to go through this journey together and be getting better together. And sometimes one person will win. And sometimes the better player will win more often than not. But very occasionally, a worse player might win. And that is a feature, not a bug. Yeah, for sure. I feel like randomness is really one of the best ways to to make a family game even, right? And especially if it's, I mean, if it's a family game, you probably don't want it to be very long anyway. You're probably looking at maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe an hour max, depending on the age of the kids. Mm. And so you can have a lot of randomness in there and it not be super frustrating, right? If you're, if you're playing a 20-minute game and it's got a ton of random luck, well, that's okay because it, it's only 20 minutes. And so, you know, that's the way it goes. And like right now, I'm working on a, a sports game that it's a family style game that's about a 30 minute deal and it's a shuffle builder where some of the decks are a lot more luck based than the other it's got some dexterity elements to it and so you could give that more luck based stuff to the parent where they have to you know not only play the right card but they also have to kind of do this dexterity element as well and then maybe a kid gets a little bit uh, gets a deck that has a little less luck involved in there and so you can kind of manage some things that way too where maybe the parent has to do some some of these extra things that kind of could go either way and the kid has some options that are, are a little more uh, secure or straightforward and so i feel like luck is just a like you say judicious randomness that's a really good way to put luck judicious randomness is a good way to kind yeah. of balance the the playing field i mean you can't just have everyone roll a die at the end and I don't know if you've heard of Randall Chess, which is Richard yeah. Garfield's thoughts exercise. Yeah. yeah, he came on the show. We talked about it, actually. He brought this up and how, oh, how as, a, as like a thought exercise. Oh, because he's talked about it so many times. I yeah. can't remember where I've heard it. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like a brilliant thing. Okay, you get to the end, you roll the die, and then, you know, it's that's obviously no one would make that game. Mm -hmm. The only point that it was even conceived was to illustrate a point. Yeah. But it does actually illustrate the other points, which is there is a moment of drama in that game. Right. Now, that's terrible because you've got this one-hour, however-long strategic game of chess and then this one moment of drama, mm -hmm. which kind of feels completely at odds with the game. Right. But, again, if you've got everything completely even, everything completely flat, it can leave the game feeling a bit dull, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Whereas if you've got spikes in difficulty, if it's like, oh, the past five cards that I drew were not so bad, but this sixth one might be really bad, 
or this game, the first one was a really bad card. It gives it not only the variance, but it gives it genuine drama. And I think that a lot of mathematical game designers, especially computer game designers, which is what I used to consider myself, come to games thinking, oh, let's remove luck because we don't appreciate luck. We try to play games to almost get away from luck sometimes. But that's not the way that the world is. That's not even the way to maximize the fun. It's not the way to maximize the excitement. And just, yeah, not yeah. only can it make the worst player win, but also just about the drama and making it exciting for the kids and the parents together and sharing those stories. Exactly. Like we said before, it makes for dramatic stories and fun things to talk about later. Well, Bez, any other things to consider when uh, working on a family game? Like, what would you tell somebody who's working on a game right now or thinking about working on a family game? What would you say? I would say do it, test it with families, test it with non-gamers, test it with designers first, obviously. But after you've done it with designers, go outside and reach outside of that circle of designer friends that you've got and play it with people who've never picked up a game because only that way can you really see how to simplify it to the nth degree. And I think, in my opinion, that's the biggest mistake that I've seen people coming to board game design meetups, that they've just not made their things simple enough. Yeah, for sure. Well, Bez, really appreciate you coming on the show. You want to take a moment and talk about uh, Bez Day? Sure. So um, when I did my first Kickstarter for In a Bind, the, pre the original version of Yogi, that was meant to come out in 2015. I got it to backers at UK Games Expo. I wanted to give them some exclusivity. And then I got it into shops on 1st of August. Then the next year, I was a month late with Vinabine Jr. And I thought, hey, why not start a tradition? Why not get this into shops for 1st of August and then do it every year? And mm -hmm. so I told Eric Martin of Board Game Geek and a few other people about this. And originally the plan was a new game literally every year on 1st of August. Now, this year, it's not quite going to happen because of some personal tragedies. But 1st of August, Best Day is still going to be a thing. On Twitter, I'm going to do arts requests for 48 hours. So if anyone tags me at Stuff by Bez, hashtag Best Day, hashtag arts request, then I will draw literally anything you ask for. <laughs> um, the, you know, I think that people last year, Year, someone had me drawing some politicians um, up on diving boards and there was some whilst the Lone Ranger and Yoda were looking on um, and it, was, it wasn't the best drawing, I didn't spend hours and hours on yeah. it, but you could tell what it was yeah. and it gave people a chuckle. Um, also there is going to be a new game for the Wobble Plus Plus deck, which this year I'm thinking is going to actually be a solitaire game called Mickle. It's a word game um, there's going to, I'm within London, I'm going to be going around eventually one day in the far off future. I hope that this day I can just send like party packs around the world. And then 1st of August, it'll be a day of me giving other people stuff almost. But for now, it's just, yeah, a day of having fun. And if you want me to draw stuff for you, or if you want a free print and play game, there's also going to be a free print and play version of Plus, I'm hoping. Very and cool. so yeah, check it out. Yeah, definitely. Now, is it? Do you want to talk about your uh, contest as well? Oh yeah. Um. So I got a contest for Wibble Plus Plus, which is also finishing on the first of August. And so basically, for the Wibble Plus Plus deck, um, if you go onto BGG, you can look it up, and it's 
you've got a link to, in the sh- notes that you're sending to people every fortnight, yeah. every week, sorry. Every week. And um, basically, it's there's a link to some print and play files for Wibble++. You can download it and play Wibble++ for free if you want. And that will maybe give you some ideas for and ability to play test your own prototype. If you want, you can literally just send me an idea and never play it at all. And that's totally allowed within the realms of the contest. I'm not saying it will do brilliantly, but if I get um, few enough things, then I am going to give literally everyone our feedback and it will be like, yeah, this is how well you've done. This is what I think of this thing. And just me going through them and saying, yeah, this is what I think of it. And getting that, and if you've put more in, then my feedback will probably be more relevant to you. But if you've just been like, oh, I've only got five hours, um, I don't can't afford to print this thing out, but I can imagine it in my own mind. I can't I don't have the ability to play test this ten player crazy game I've invented, but maybe I think that this would be a an interesting enough ten player game. The point isn't to come to me with finished games. The point is to come with to me with the best that you can do because I want to make it accessible. It's like, what is the best that you can do? And if in your situation you can't play test, then that's totally understandable. And so, yeah, just send me a thing via the Google form and I'll go through them. The best thing from the year will be actually printed and mass produced and loads of people get to see boxes with your name on it. Yeah, awesome. Well, Bess, good luck with the contest, good luck with the game stuff you're working on, and good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Thank you so much. And um, anyone wants to check me out, like for Bessie, I'll like just quickly shout out yeah, for the Twitter. It's like at Stuff by Bez, Instagram is Stuff by Bez, and Facebook search up Stuff by Bez. And <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure being on the podcast. And yeah, keep up the good work. And yeah, you're doing. I'm really enjoying listening to all these shows. I mean, not every week because that's not the way I personally listen to podcasts. More of a binge, binge listener. Yeah, like yeah. once there's four or five episodes, I'm yeah. like, oh, excellent, that's enough so that I can actually, I mean, if I'm cycling for three hours, mm-hmm. I don't want to have to keep stopping and starting different podcasts. Mm-hmm. I want to have like, okay, I've got a good couple of hours of content that I can listen to. Yeah. And so I, I really enjoy it. And I also always know that I get something out of it. And I enjoy the super focused look that you do. Awesome. And I hope that this has been up to the quality of your past shows. Yeah, this has been great. And thanks for listening. I really appreciate your, your kind words. And uh, it's something I continue to enjoy putting together every week. And I'm excited about the future and kind of what, you know, doing more, more episodes, more content. Uh, and maybe maybe moving up to two a week, one day down the road sometime, uh, where I can, if I can get a little more uh, time to do it. But, uh, yeah, I really appreciate uh, what you said. And, hey, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, it's been really cool. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?